Good morning. Grateful to see all of you guys again. I've got to be here the last few years uh, teaching Old Testament and Old, New Testament, Old Testament walk through the Bible seminars. I hope that you really will consider coming back. It's the best way I've ever seen or known to really kind of understand God's Word. And as you start the new year off, that's a great thing to get going in your life. The talk I'm going to give to you today, I, I believe, can really be a great talk that will help you so you can kind of take it to the bank during the whole year of 2016. When things are kind of a little shaky, when things are a little bit tough, a little bit rough, not going the way you wish they would, I think you can go back and recall this. I think it will minister to you and help you. It really will. It's one of those messages and one of those themes that are in the Bible that have so impacted my life in an amazing way. Like the sovereignty of God is one of the grace of God or the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life. These things like this, I, can, I, I kind of call those things back up when I need them. And this is one of those main things that I need often to remember. So here we go. And I hope it'll help you too. Mother Teresa, who worked with some of the poorest of the poor over 50 years in India, once gave a strange answer to a question that was asked to her. Here was the question. Mother Teresa, of all the people you've seen and ministered to you in the poorest in the poorest of the places in the world, what's the most horrible disease you've ever seen among all the people? I mean, was it AIDS? Was it leprosy? Was it cancer? Was it some other disease? Well, what is she going to say? And she turned to the interviewer asking the question and says, I know the answer to that very quickly. What is it? Let's hear. What's the answer? She said, loneliness is the answer. Every person in this room has experienced loneliness at various times and seasons and ages of your life and your journey so far. And it hits and impacts everyone. And for all the people that she dealt with, that was something she saw that was universal in every case of disease. How they had felt rejected or alone or nobody knows or nobody cares and here I am and what do I do? And she said, that's it. It's loneliness. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, he used a very intimate Aramaic word to talk about something that stops the loneliness. It allows a, a covenant relationship between God and man. That when activated, can absolutely radically impact your life in amazing ways. And he used this word, Jesus did, for his father. And he used the word, Abba, Father. Say the word, Abba, with me. Abba. That word means Papa. It means Daddy. That's the word that it means. Now, for the Jews to hear that word used by Jesus was like, whoa. They, they feared God. They grew up fearing Yahweh. His name even brought fear to them. The rumblings on the mountain, the giving of the Ten Commandments and all that. They were afraid below. And they pictured God way up there and kind of awe and holy fear about him. But when Jesus was here, he called his father, Abba, Father. That would have thrown him for a loop. And here's the interesting thing, too. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, tells us we can call him Abba, too. We really can't. Look what it says. It says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, you become a child of the living God. You become his son or his daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter, you have the right to call the person over you what? Daddy. Papa. A term of endearment. 
By him we cry what? Read that word. Abba, Father. It's perfectly okay for you to pray this in 2016. Raise your hands to heaven and say, Abba, help me. That's a great prayer. You don't have to say it about now, but if you need it, you can. But that, that's a good prayer. Anytime, anywhere. Driving down the road. Before you go to bed. Up in the morning. A great prayer to pray. Why? Because he responds to you. Because you're his chosen son or daughter. You can call him that special, special word. Now, in that verse, here's what it said. It said, we weren't natural born children. We were what? Adopted. We were adopted into his family. Uh, there's a couple in our church. He's the executive pastor of our church. He and his wife, Brian and Rachel, felt like God wanted them to go to China and to adopt a little girl. They had three children of their own. God spoke to them and gave them that impression. And they felt both together that it was something they were supposed to do. And so they obeyed and they started the paperwork. It took about 17 months. Before you know it, they're on a plane. They're heading to China and they bring back a little three-year-old girl named Gracie. They bring her home. Do you know there's a million orphans in China alone? This girl won the adoption lottery. Really? I mean, she got to, she doesn't even know it. One day she's taken out of her normal setting and she's placed into their arms and back on a plane and back to the United States and... She had to have a lot of surgeries on her mouth and cleft palate and all kinds of stuff. She had, I think, six surgeries. She looks beautiful today, and she's eight years old today. Well, you think, well, that's a great story. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But then God impressed Brian and Rachel. They're supposed to go back and get a boy. And when they talked about it, they agreed on it. They went and got a little boy, and they chose this boy. His name was Gus. So out of the million orphans that are in China, how many did Brian and Rachel pick? A girl and a boy. And they chose those kids to become a part of their family. Now when you see their Christmas family picture, when you see them together as a group, you don't think of them as the adopted kids and the natural kids, the Chinese kids, the American kids. You just think of them as the Woodard kids. Because they all enjoy the same privileges and everything that goes on in that house because they have been legally chosen to be a part of that family. And that's what happens to me and you when we come to faith in Christ. We accept Christ as our Savior. We get adopted into his family. Not natural born. We become a legal part of his family because he chose us. Now, that's an amazing thing. Now, why did God create us? He created us because he always wanted a family. He always wanted a family. You can go all the way back and start from Genesis. And you'll be seeing that theme as you study the Bible this year in your church. How God was always looking for a family to be united. And it's funny, when you read the book of Revelation, I was reading it this morning. One day we're all, it's going to be a great wedding in heaven. And we're we're called the bride of Christ. All of us. There's going to be this gathering, this union again of this great family of God the Father. United with people from every tribe, every language, every group of people around the planet. It's amazing. You know, there's about two billion Christians in the world today. That's an amazing thing, that one day that will take place and happen. So we're in covenant relationship with him. Now, Jesus chose 12 disciples when he was here on earth. Now, what's amazing about that is during that particular time, you didn't choose your, you, you, rabbis didn't choose you, you chose your rabbi. So if I wanted to follow a rabbi in Jewish culture, I would watch various guys, 
and decide which one I thought I would like to follow. Then I would tell the person, I'm going to start following you. Then I would link myself to you. And in a little group, you'd see a little group of guys walking around following this guy. Other guys walking around following this guy. Whoever I choose to follow, that's who I would follow. What was interesting about when Jesus did this, he chose them. He chose some fishermen. He chose a Roman tax collector. He chose some young. He chose some middle-aged. He chose some different people from blue-collar, white-collar. He chose different people. And he chose them. Now, that was a new paradigm of what was happening and what was going on. Here's what the words he told them. Follow me. Not follow my ideas. Not follow my religious abilities. Follow me. The way I live my life is the way I want you to live your lives. And as a rabbi, he taught them for three years. He was in a covenant relationship with them. He chose them. I often meet people who say, I don't know for sure, Steve, that I'm born again, that I'm saved, that I really have... I think I prayed a prayer one time when I was young, but my life doesn't seem to line up with that. Am am I saved or not? I cannot answer that question for you. But I can kind of explain it to you like this. Let's say there's a door here on the stage. It's just a door. And on this side of the door, it says some words straight out of the Bible. And it says this. It says, whosoever will may come. I want to become a Christian. I want to follow Christ. I want to do this. I want to accept him now. I feel convicted in my heart, whatever. And I want to walk through that door. Uh, I did that when I was six years old. My wife did it when she was 16. She lived a wicked life of sin for 10 more years (laughs) past me. Uh, Some of my good friends have done it as an adult and made that decision. Let me just ask you, how many of you made a decision to trust Christ before you were, say, 13? Let me see your hands. How about between 13 and up? Let me see your hands. The rest of you need to make it today. I don't know if you didn't raise your hand at all. But so here you are. But some of you older, some of you younger. But you see that whosoever will may come. All right, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to walk through this door. I come through the door. And I look back on this side of the door. And now it's a new sign. You know what it says? Chosen from the foundation of the world. I look at this thing and I think, wait a minute. I, I made the choice. I like to choose stuff. You know, We're Americans, aren't we? I choose where I shop, I choose where I eat, I choose where I live. I choose this house, I choose this car. I choose that TV, I choose that refrigerator. I choose, we're a choice obsessed people. And I think when I'm over here, that's my choice. But here's what's interesting. Any of you that have made that decision, God gave you the desire to make the choice in the first place. It starts with God, not with you. I used to think it started with me. I used to think, ah, I want to do this. I'll just bebop through the door. Yeah. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to, you know, this is great. it's a great deal. I trade in my sin. I get eternal life. Pretty good. So I walk through. No, 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 no. God gave you the desire to walk through in the first place. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? Glad you asked. Look up here. That's what it'll say right here. You did not choose me, but what did he say? I chose you. Why? And appointed you that you might go and bear fruit that will last. This is what Jesus told his followers. I chose you. Look at the next one, Ephesians. Paul says this, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So we see straight in the scripture that we've been chosen by God. 
And when you're chosen by Him, you're put in family, relationship with Him. And any deepening relationship always goes downward. When you go deeper, you often get dirty. Pastor John Ambrose Wood was the father of famed author Catherine Marshall. He spent his entire life serving the rural poor in mid-America. One day, he went to call on a member of his church who worked for the B&O Railroad in the coal department. And his hands were gritty and dirty. And Pastor John Ambrose stuck out his hand to greet his church member. And the train worker said this, I, I, can't, I can't shake your hand, Pastor. My hands are too grimy and dirty. Pastor Wood got down on his hands and knees. Coal dust was all around. He wiped his hands in the coal dust, stood back up and said, how about now? How about now? Now, that to me is a beautiful story of the truth of what God did with his son, Jesus, by sending him to earth. I like to say it like this. A long time ago in a Galilee far, far away. I thought some of you would get that for sure. In a long time ago, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us born under the law. When Jesus came into this world in the place of Bethlehem, born as a baby, when that happened, that was starting this thing of a relationship we were going to be able to have with him. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus humbled himself and God sent his son to humble him and come to earth and become a fully God and fully man at the same time. Very difficult to understand. But downward mobility for sure. Leaving the throne room of heaven and coming to a sin-cursed, wicked, depraved earth. This is where he lived his life for 33 years. Three years in public ministry. And he came. Why? So when he chose you, we could know this. That he's like us. You lived there in that three years. You could have seen him with your eyes. You could have touched him. You could have heard him speak. He wasn't so high and lofty that we couldn't shake his hand. But he came to be like us. What are some of the chosen metaphors you see in the Bible? There's so many. We sang about them in the songs that we sang earlier today. A father's child. You're a good, good father. A shepherd's sheep. A groom's bride. A husband's wife. You see all these pictures that God is showing us how he's Abba Father and how he's chosen you. When I fell in love with my wife, Becky, many years ago, I chose to love her from among the many eligible young women who would have loved nothing better than to have gone out with me. (laughs) This hunk of humanity you see standing before you today, much desired by many girls in the middle school youth group in our church in Texas. But I chose her. And I said, well, you go out with me. Can I sit with you? Can I be with you? Can I spend time with you? And that turned into one day, well, I, will you marry me? And she said, yeah. And we did. And we got married. Been married now for 43 years. Now, she, I chose her. She accepted that choosing. She took on my name. She took on everything I have. Now, we're all one together. We've become one flesh. And she took on that and me. But on the other hand, there's nothing quite as painful as not being chosen. Ooh, this is hard. A ten-year-old girl once wrote to dear Abby and said this about the pain of a school playground. All of my life, I've been chosen last. Why don't they just hang a sign around my neck that says reject? 
Last one to pick gets me. You ever felt that way? You get, didn't get accepted into that college you wanted to get into. You didn't get that job. You couldn't have kids when you thought you wanted them and didn't work out. You couldn't live in a certain place. You couldn't have a certain deal. You didn't make a certain team. You didn't get elected. All these different things that can cause us just to feel uh, rejected. There's no pain quite like rejection. Uh, I started a church in Greenville, South Carolina in 1996 and pastored it for many years. And then I, I felt like I was supposed to turn it over to another young man that was on my church staff. And I thought I would probably be leaving. But he said, I'd like you to stay here because you've been alive longer than I've been in ministry. And maybe you can help me along the way. I said, okay, we'll try it and see how it goes. It went fine, but then he left. And then another guy came in. Hey, I'm the old guy that started the place that's still here, you know, the crazy pastor uncle guy. Hey. And they thought, well, maybe we should make him part-time. And so they put me into a part-time role. Now, I had to learn, and I had to learn to let go of that and humble myself and say, I'll have you to know I started this church. It's my, I, listen, I don't, I didn't, it's not my church to start with. I've always done this with our church. It's God's church. I was just allowed to lead it for X number of years. But when he said that, I knew I needed to get a part-time job. Now, I had been as a volunteer chaplain in a Christian-owned appliance store in our city. It's a big store. It's like in the size of a Home Depot or a Lowe's building. We have televisions, bedding, furniture, and appliances. About 100 employees, 900 employees. A bunch of people. So I teach them on Wednesdays and Friday mornings. And I've been doing that for a couple of years while I was on staff at the church. I went in to talk to my friend that owned the company, Mark Lynch, and tell him this. I may not get to come teach for you any longer on Wednesday and Friday because I'm going to be looking for a new part-time job for now that I'll need to get. And that's something I'll be pursuing in the future. And without hardly missing a beat, he looked at me and says, why don't you come to work for us? And you can become our company pastor. Now, there's something I never had planned to do as a kid. Why do you want to be Johnny when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I'd like to be a fireman. I'd like to be a company pastor. What is that? I don't know. I don't know what that is. I said, what does that look like? We sat down and started writing out. What would it look like? So we have a job description. I take it home and show my wife. We pray about it. Here's how we prayed about it. I said, Becky, we should pray about this, all right? We bowed our head and said, God said yes. And so we automatically went in and we signed, and we signed the line quickly. So I went from not having a job one day to the very next day having a job that paid me exactly what I lost and left from the other, company, the other job. I was thinking, does God, is he a good, good father? Does he take care? I didn't go one day unemployed. You might say, well, I've been going for five years unemployed. I don't know your story. Your story might be very hard and very difficult. Mine could have been. But God did that for me in an amazing, miraculous way. Now, at that place, I feel so blessed to be there. I'm a company pastor. I get to teach them on Wednesday and Friday. I've done weddings for them and funerals for them and visit them in the hospital. I have them in my house about 10 at a time to have dinner, hear their stories, learn about how they are, kind of counsel, mentor, help them along the way in their spiritual walk, wherever it is. And then when I work in the store, when they're busy, I get to go help on the showroom floor. So if you come into my store and I sell you a 65-inch 4K Samsung television, 
I have to tell you at the end of our dealings together, I really can't sell this to you because I'm just the company pastor. But I'll take you to somebody who can check you out. They look at that card and they look at me. They look back at that card and they look at me. What is that? What, 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 what role is, is this? A, is this a church? Is this a, is, is this a Christian company? Some people ask. Some people say words I will not repeat to you when I tell them that that's what I am. But here's what our owner of our company says. If they get into a conversation with you, you can take it wherever God leads you to go. If they say, you're, you're coming, well, that's great. If that's all they say, I don't say anything to them. But they ask me any question, it's like saying, sick them to a dog. You know? And let me tell you about what that means. And boom, we're often getting to God conversations. All the time. Well, my daughter has leukemia. Can you pray for her? Well, let's sneak over here behind the refrigerators. And, you know, and we'll call down the healing power of God, you know. Come back out now, buy your refrigerator, you know. People, I've sat in the furniture department and counseled people for sometimes an hour at a time. Sitting on the sofas. In the store. The, but Mark, here's what's interesting about that word. I like being there. You know why? Because Mark chose me. Mark Lynch chose me and said, I want you to become this for me. And because I was chosen, I feel valued. I feel important. I feel like this is something that's special I get to do. And I love being there. There's something about when you're chosen. Beautiful thing that happens. In Genesis 12, God called Abraham and told him this. I'm going to choose you to become the father of a great and mighty nation. He's going to be the father of the Jewish people. He told him this. He put him through a lot of tests that were very difficult, very hard to understand. But this is what he says to him in verse 3 of Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How many people on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham? All of them. The entire world. Two billion believers today because of this. It started here. Because of the Jewish nation and Jesus coming to be born as Messiah, there are over two billion of us around the world today. As we took communion here, there are literally millions and millions of Christians taking communion all over the world today. Because of our belief in what happened, that we've been blessed because of what happened in Jerusalem, what happened in Bethlehem, what happened when Jesus was here. This now impacted all of us. So that has come to pass. Now, they didn't mean this by simply saying they were God's favorites. Or they had some exclusive insight on a fast track to heaven. In God's plan, here's what's true. When I'm chosen, I ought to bless you. When you're chosen, you ought to bless me. And when this nation was chosen, they were going to bless other nations around them. Israel was not chosen instead of other nations. Israel was chosen to what? For the sake of other nations. And they've done that. Being chosen shouldn't make you proud. Being chosen should make you what? Humble. Yeah. Wow, look, I got chosen. Yeah, I'm the best. I'm the brightest. I'm the brightest. No, 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 no. It's by God's mercy and grace that I've been chosen. It's by God's mercy and grace that you've been chosen. He's the one that chose you anyway. When you walk through the door, I, I'm going to give this guy the ability and this gal to walk through the door and accept and believe in me. And I walk through the door. And I realize, Wow. I've been adopted into the family of God. I can come and sing, how great thou art. 
I can sing, you're a good, good father. I can give my worship, my adoration back to him. Because he's adopted me into his royal family. And that's a pretty good deal. Well, in the early pages of the New Testament, you find this guy named John the Baptist. He's the top dog. I mean, he's out preaching at the Jordan River. He's reaching people. He's baptizing scores of people. He appeared to look like a prophet to the people. The way he dressed, the food that he ate. He would have looked like Elijah. You read about Elijah in 2 Kings 1, and you'll see the same kind of look that John the Baptist had. So they thought that this is a prophet from God, and many, many people were were, were hearing the truth about God. And look what his followers said when Jesus now comes out to the Jordan River. Here's what his followers say in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side, the one you test about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. What are we going to do? I mean, we can't have this guy taking our customers. What's up with it? What do you want us to do about this? Look at the answer he gave. Uh, he must become greater. I must become less. Well, I thought we were. No, 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 no. He's the one we're talking about. Oh. As he becomes greater, we're going to become more humble. We're here to lift him up. He's the reason we're here. (laughs) Oh, I see. And those followers had a lesson to learn. Being chosen by God is not grasping and taking, but it's about being humble and learning to do this. Watch my hand. Put your hands like this. Make a fist. And now lift your hands just open up like this. Being, it's being willing to let go. Being to let go of certain things. At certain times, at certain seasons. That's okay. Because that's what being humble is about. This answer would have shocked his followers. You mean you're going to give up the crowds and all this because of somebody else? Yeah. They were shot through with something called envy. You know what envy is? Here's a good definition. Wanting what another person has and feeling badly that I don't have it. I drive this Ford Focus bucket of bolts and park it in the parking lot. I look next to you. Whoa, you're driving a Corvette. Who do you think he is? Who do you think he is? Man. Look at this thing. What, what are you thinking of me? What him? Why him, not me? I mean, come on. We can be shot through with envy as well. Here's what the Bible says about envy. Here's what it'll do to you. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You want to start out the year 2016 with rotten bones? Start envying people. It'll work. You envy people, this is what will happen. It'll mess you up on the inside. Your stomach will be in knots. It'll cause you physical difficulties to be envious. That's what the Bible teaches. Maybe you don't sleep good at night. What are you envious about of some other people? Maybe confess that to the Lord. Maybe that's the thing that's stopping the physical problems you're dealing with. The next one is this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil, evil practice. Do I want 2016 to be filled with evil practices and disorder? Well, just envy stuff. That's what you get when you envy stuff. Or the opposite of that is true. I don't want that, so I'm not going to envy stuff. It's something to confess. Maybe John was tempted to get my people back, but he absolutely knew his mission in life was to lift up Jesus. So he said this to explain a little more to the guys. Here's what he said. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, and that's who he said he was in the story, John the Baptist. 
I am the friend. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete because I'm here to exalt him. Now, this is interesting. You've got to understand Jewish culture, know what he's talking about. In ancient Israel, the word friend comes from a word that's called shosbin, S-H-O-S-H-B-I-N, shosbin. It would be like our best man today in a wedding. A guy that takes care of all the details and stuff like that for the groom, in charge of the many details. Now, on the first night of the wedding, here's what the shots bin would do. This friend would guard the tent. The woman, after the ceremony and the dancing and everything was done, would be inside the tent waiting to receive her groom that night for the first time to consummate the act of marriage. She's inside the tent. The shots bin stands at the door guarding that tent. It's dark. You can't see who's coming up and approaching now. But he hears that voice of the groom and knows his voice. And when he hears the voice of the groom, that shotsman opens up that door of that tent and allows that groom to enter. Then he closes it back up and he stands outside guarding that for the rest of the night. That no one will disturb them on this beautiful night of their, of their marriage together. That's what John the Baptist said he was. I'm the friend. And I have great joy because I know how much joy he's having in there. I know that the union is going to be a beautiful thing. And I'm just grateful I had a part and a role to play in it. And that's what he said. He must increase. I must decrease. My wife and I chose to have three kids. They're all grown. And now they chose to have a lot more kids. And now we have 11 grandkids, 10 boys, one girl. Now, I'm very proud of my kids and see how they raise and parent their children I hope we've given them a lot of good advice over the years, but there's one piece of advice that was given to me. I hope they don't practice with their kids that I was given, I think, is not really the best advice. Here's what somebody told me when they were little. They told me this. I believed it. It didn't ever work out very well, but I, I believed this, and it was not a good piece of advice. Here, here's what it was. Treat all of your children equally and fairly. Doesn't that sound good? Okay. You get this, you get this, you get this. It's all working. It's perfect. That doesn't work right at all. I have a boy and then a girl and then a boy. There's automatically some things that aren't going to be equal and aren't going to be fair. How much time they can spend in the bathroom. It's not, okay, time to get out. Aaron only took five minutes. Angela, you only get five. I, I can't treat them all equally. They're different sexes. They're different ages. There are different needs that they have. There are different likes and dislikes that they have. They're not all little cookie-cutter people who've come out of our life and just do everything the same. Here's better advice. Love each one of them uniquely. That's how God chooses you. He didn't choose you so you could look like me. He didn't choose me so I could act like you. He didn't choose you. But he chose you uniquely and he chose me uniquely. Every time somebody walks into that door, it's like your fingerprint is unique. Nobody else has it. You're uniquely made and wired by Father God. The way you are is the way he created you to be. No better, no worse than anyone else. He looks at you uniquely. Remember this, when you're having a rough time this year, he chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he chose you. And you're a part of his royal family. Here's the last quote I'll put up on the screen for you. God didn't choose you because he thought you needed it. He chose you because he wanted to. 
He wanted to. He wanted to choose you. Does it make a difference? Oh, man. It makes a difference with how you live your life if you know you're chosen. Let me read you a final little story and then we'll go. It's a letter that appeared in the book by a guy named Dan Taylor. And the book was called Letters to My Children. And Dan is writing to his son, Matthew. And here's a story that happened to Dan. He says this, Dear Matthew, when I was in the sixth grade, I was an All-American, so I thought. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. Probably too a little proud. Things went downhill fast in middle school, but for this one year, I thought I had everything. But I had Miss Owens, too, for an assistant teacher. She knew that even though I was smart and nice, there was still a thing or two I could probably learn and work on. One of the things you're expected to do in elementary school was to learn to dance. My parents may have had some reservations at first, but since this was square dancing, it's okay. Then we went to work on our dancing. We did this terrible thing. The boys would line up at the door. One at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be the partner. The girls all sat at their desk. As they were chosen, they would leave their desk, join the snot-nosed kids who had honored them with favor. Believe you me, the boys did not like doing this. At least I didn't. But think about being one of the girls. Hmm. Think about wanting to get picked. Think about seeing who was going to get picked before you. Think about worrying that you'd get picked by somebody you couldn't even stand. Think about not even being picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't real smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't enough in those days. And she certainly wasn't athletic. She'd had polio or something. One of her arms was drawn up and she had a bad leg. And to finish it off, she was kind of fat. Here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens took me aside one day and said, Dan, the next time we have square dancing, I want you to choose Mary. She might as well have told me to fly to Mars. It was an idea so inconceivable, I could barely hold it in my head. You, you, mean, you mean, pick someone other than the best? Other than the brightest? Other than the most pretty or the most popular? Are you kidding me? That seems like breaking the law of nature or something. And then Miss Owens did a rotten thing. She told me it's what a Christian should do. Oh, boy. I knew immediately I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. It was the thing that Jesus would have done. I was surprised, in fact, I hadn't seen it on a Sunday school flannel board. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the yeshiva dance. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. I agonized. Oh, choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had so far accumulated. The day came when we had to dance. If God really loved me, I thought, he'll make me last. <laughs> then picking Mary will cause me no problem. I would have done the right thing and it wouldn't have cost me anything. You can guess who got to choose first that day. It was me. There I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces on the girls were turned toward me, some smiling. I looked at Mary and she was kind of half turned to the back of the room, her face staring down at the desk. They said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away and I heard my voice saying this. I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. 
I still see her face undimmed in my, mirror, in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, reddened with pleasure, surprise, and embarrassment, all at the same time, was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Her look was so pure I had to look away because I know I didn't really deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed and walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary is my age now. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like, what she's been doing, but I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in the sixth grade. I know I do. Look. Do you sometimes feel less than you should as a son or a daughter of God because you feel like a Mary? No one really wants me. No one ever needs me. No one ever knows what I can do, what I'm thinking, who I really am. Nobody seems to care. When you start having that kind of thought run through your mind, remember this. God chose you to dance with him. God chose you to be his daughter. God chose you to be his son. And you're wrapped around by his arms in the royal family. Now, that's a pretty good deal. So whatever goes wrong with you and how you're treated and other people don't treat you well, or they miss this to you, or they don't do this. Whenever that happens this year, remember this. My Heavenly Father is a good, good Father, and He loves me. And I'm going to carry that with me the rest of my life. And that's a pretty good place to be. Put your hands out like this. I'm going to pray a blessing over you as we leave. Father, for every hand that's open that knows you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would so fill them with the understanding of who they are, that their identity is with you as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, that we're royal, that we walk beside you and we're a part of your family. That means we're related to each other. That's why in this church we can care for each other and love each other and serve each other because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So may we carry that throughout the year of 2016. In the name of Jesus, we ask for every hand that's open today. Amen. So glad you came today. God bless you. We'll see you hopefully in February when we do walk through the New Testament. God bless. We'll see you.